So I'm going to ask you this question twice through two different lenses. The first question okay. is, as a performer, as somebody who is an artist, who would you rather play to? A thousand people who don't care about you or 10 people who do? Mm. Are we talking like a one-off or sure. in general, like across a career? Like just like you're, you show up one night and this is the situation? No, in general. What's your ideal show? I guess my ideal would be the 10. Over the course of a career, I would love to have the thousand so I don't have to do anything else as long as I could still go to a place where those 10 were because that would be my ideal show. So I basically I'm willing to sell my soul for the thousand, but the 10 is where my heart would be. I guess I would say the same because I perform better in front of strangers anyway. I didn't say they're strangers. I said they didn't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. That would be way worse, actually. Yeah, I didn't even consider that. I know a thousand people and they all could give a shit. Well, if they don't care yeah. about me, then they obviously don't know me. So, well, <laughs> well, also, what if the 10 people, the 10 people who care about you are strangers? That's cool. And we just have That's great. Okay. Action. Okay. Yeah. Now you're in a room with 10 strangers, 10 parasocial relationships. I'll take it. Okay, so now here's the here's my spin on that question because that's the way it's usually asked. Okay, where would you rather be every show you go to in a crowd of a thousand people, <laughs> who, or who who all like the same thing but like are strangers, or would you rather be in the ten people who have a lot of things in common? I don't ever want to be with a thousand people. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really think so, but. The reason why I'm asking all of this is because the things that people value when they're hosting a space, that participation, that attendance, pe the, 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 the ranks in which people judge the quality of an event, I think the metrics are whack as fuck. Yeah. You know, like like yeah. people, people judging an event based on ticket sales or based on the amount of diversity amongst the people. I don't know, the attendees or the performers, like, I think with the, at the heart of it, for something to be a good event and a space to be, a, like, a good space is having those 10 people who really are enjoying it and, and are getting a lot from it. And, like, I think people get lost in, like, oh, my God, like, that show sucked tonight. We only had, like, nine people come out. But, like, that could be the <laughs> night where you played to the most people who actually care that yeah. you ever will. Like, yeah. you know, like, that's just the truth. Like, you can pray to a crowd, play to a crowd of 50 people, but three or four of them are probably still only coming to the merch table. And, like, if you were in a room of 10 people, four of them still probably would have come to the merch table, right? Like, yeah, I just think that people are fixated on numbers. People are fixated on, on, on the wrong things when it comes to, like, the quality, judging the quality of an event. And judging the quality of their experience or maybe the, the participants' experience in the event. Yeah. And I think that age-old question of, like, what would you rather, you know, be a part of or who would you rather play to, I think I think that it serves a really, really good example and a good lens on yeah. that. And, like, if you, if you put it in the lens of hosting community spaces like we're talking about, I think, like, I'd much rather have a show where like nine people show up and everybody cares then like it'd be a fucking banger and nobody pays attention to the performers and nobody buys merch and like the performers and the host get nothing out of it it's just a shit show party you know like yeah. you want a you want a hundred people to show up to your fucking house show you get a you get a giant stack of bud light <laughs> mm -hmm. uh <laughs> you have 
you have you know a bunch of people blow it up on tiktok and uh oh, have yeah. a bunch of high school and have a bunch of high schoolers <laughs> come over to your fucking house uh and get shit-faced and listen to their friends play horrible death metal like anybody can do that anybody can put that together and get 100 people at their house but it takes a lot more effort and a lot more of a put together space that cares to get 10 people who really care and are really enjoying it to show up well and cultivating the experience is a good point there because it's rare that i've written music that would be well received by a in a space that could hold a thousand people and so like most of the music that i write is ideal in either a group of 10 anywhere up to a two to three hundred seat theater but like in a space that can hold a thousand people, the listening experience of my music would not really make sense, whether it's yeah. like an outdoor venue or a larger arena. So I think like the kind of experience that you are trying to create by playing matters just as much as the kind of experience that people are willing to have listening to you play. Because it's not just that you're trying to have people hear your music or be exposed to your art like the thousand people sounds great because then it's real-time validation that you have a thousand people who are at least hearing you and you can hear whether they're applauding in the way that you would want to even if they don't care about you or don't care about your art necessarily like you can hear the way that they're reacting to your art so having that validation is very valuable feedback but on the other hand if you're the kind of person who strives to create intimate experiences through art that bring people together in a smaller, more listening room way. And if that's your goal as an artist, then obviously that's the better choice. So both are valuable. Like one is valuable as data <laughs> and one is valuable as an actual achievement of what you're trying to cultivate. To my eye too, the model is changing a little bit. Like the, I think it's one of those things where people are still going by the old analytics like they're still going by even five or ten years ago these were more solid than they are now but like joel and i were joking about reverb nation the other night yeah like just talking about like the stats like justin you remember those stats how like you could be like number 35 for like folk music in the greater rockland area or something like that like there were always these bullshit stats because it's like i know there's not 35 musicians in my town how in the hell am i 35 yeah but people like some, not everyone, not most of the sensible people, but people would still take these stats really seriously and they'd be like sharing them online being like, holy shit, I'm like number one. It's like, on what chart on this planet are you number one? Yeah. And it's that kind of stuff to me. It's like, there's just no other way. It's the friggin' Wild West right now. Like people don't know how to quantify the stuff. Well, the people that want to quantify stuff don't know how to quantify stuff anymore. And the people who want to be quantified are just, grabbing at anything but there's like this whole kind of gulf emerging in between all those worlds where like you can make a viable living now touring living rooms and that's all you do yeah like tommy stinson from the replacements like that's kind of his gig right now i think he's touring a lot of just doing like living room tours and it's kind of like very grassroots oriented but it's also legit like he he charges ticket prices and he, he makes a living doing that and same with stuff like patreon and Kickstars and GoFundMes and stuff have become a lot more mainstream and people understand what they are and how long they're supposed to run and things like that. Like a lot of these other channels are spreading that burden out. 
a lot more so that you don't have to have that kind of like stereotypical sit down with the promoter in the smoky room at the end of the night and say, okay, like no one takes out the fucking clipboard anymore and like looks at how you did and gives you your wad of cash. Like you just, you kind of can do it your way. Yeah. Which has its drawbacks too because it makes it way more of a hustle and that's not for everybody. But it's it lets you like live in that gray area a little bit more and be the kind of artist that you want to be. And I think in turn, like the right communities kind of pop up more now and they're able to survive a little bit differently now that some of these other channels exist. And I'd be really curious if in like five or 10 years you just see how legitimate these things get and how illegitimate some of those old metrics get because they're just going to be useless. It won't even be a matter of whether they're the best way of doing it or not. It's just if enough people stop doing them, they won't be measuring anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting too, because like most people, and I wouldn't say most people, I don't know, but definitely some people measure their success as an artist or their success as far as like what their fan base looks like with Spotify statistics as a as their metric. And yeah. on the surface level, that just means that you promoted well enough that that many people tried you out, and like they might have streamed one song and been like, "Nah, this isn't for me." Versus yeah. the old metrics would tell you how many copies of a single you sold, you know, after people heard you on the radio and decided that they wanted to hear that single over and over again, not at the radio's whim. So it's interesting that like people now measure by exposure and not by commitment yeah, or measure by like an actual relationship. Like you buy a physical copy of something, then you have a relationship with that artist. Like that artist is taking up space in your home. You know, yeah. or on your hard drive back in the days of downloading. Oh, my hard drive was chock full. Oh, yeah. Mine still is. But I bet it changes even by genre. Yeah. Too, because there's certain styles or certain genres where, like, you absolutely have to follow older school methods of, like, kind of accounting for your own success. Whereas there's other things like the, especially the much more DIY-leaning things, like the, the folk, whole folk world is the easiest one, I think, to to see this in where like it can all be so under the table and you can be totally fine as an artist. Whereas if you're like going out and like my brother and I were talking about like the American Idol winners over the years earlier today. And uh, it just kind of dawned on me like how sad some of those shows were going, not like American Idol shows, but just like when you would see somebody who kind of like shot out of that orbit and they were playing like the hard rock on a Sunday morning and there's three or four people there and just realizing, like, oh, God, this does matter here. Like, mm. you now owe the Hard Rock $800, and, like, you, this matters a hell of a lot to you, and for extremely, like, logical and financial reasons. Whereas if I showed up to, like, a living room to play a folk show, and there were three or four people there, all I do is adjust maybe fucking banter or something, or I don't bring as much merch in. I just treat it like a different thing and then it's a different thing yeah yeah and then we move on to the next thing and i don't remember the world being even when i started like touring and stuff um i remember it being like profoundly different at least the way it felt to be an artist compared to what it is now mm. not worse or better just like some of the stuff that i remember like legitimately mattered uh, like even the idea of like trying to get signed, like there was a kind of a ladder. I, I was catching the last breaths of it when I was starting to tour. And it's so weird looking at some of that stuff even now. 
like how DIY was kind of this like peripheral thing, but it was, it was strong, but it wasn't like quite what it is versus now, like you can go your entire life and just go in and out of communities like that. And that's a completely viable way to live. Power to the people. Yeah. I think it's a good thing in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I book, you know, me, Matt, I book show, I I book tours that are like three, four weeks Mm. And I can't remember the last time I went through a promoter or I hit up a venue and paid a fee for a room or yeah, like it's all DIY spaces. It's all community centers. It's living rooms. It's coffee shops. It's art galleries. It's parks. It's a friend of mine asking if we can do it and like their work after they close or something, you know, like it's yeah, like I'm never playing a room that like is a conventional entertainment center because it's just it's overblown it's it's oversold it's it's not necessary you know it's like those spaces are necessary for some things Mm -hmm. but um as far as like being like having a sustainable living as a diy promoter uh and performer like you don't need those things and that brings us all the way back to today's topic those 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 place those places wouldn't exist without sustainable reliable and responsible people who are in leader leadership positions right who just who decide that they're going to have a space of some kind that they're going to have jurisdiction and responsibility over and make people feel safe enough that they're allowed to bring people from that they met on facebook uh from other states away and have them play to all their friends and that's that's beautiful you know i, I live that and i plan on living that until it becomes completely unsustainable or until my bones crack. Yeah. Uh-huh.